Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 26. And well... Where to start? Uh, when you look back at any championship run, there are certain defining moments. And I think this weekend in Misano certainly defined all three championship classes with drama happening left, right and centre. However, we do have a new MotoGP world champion in the form of Fabio Quartararo, the first ever Frenchman to take the title. He didn't make it too easy for himself, starting so far back on the grid. But with Peko Bagnaia spectacularly crashing out from the lead, Fabio's crown was secured as he finished just off the podium in fourth. Plenty to discuss, and that's just in MotoGP. We'll get on to the twists of Moto2 and Moto3 as well, with those championships still to be decided. But first, Pete McLaren, Keith Hewin, have you caught your breath yet? Well, only just from my case. I can't speak for Pete, of course, but um, <laughs> he always looks a bit more relaxed than me anyway. Um, I've got to say, track what? It was a track that done it, was a track that done it mate, wasn't it? At the end of the day, I mean, only wet and cold testing, free practice, qualifying. We know that the the Yamaha isn't particularly wonderful in those conditions. I mean, I love that meme that turned up on uh, Twitter at some stage. They're in a paddling pool and there's the the face that's now over the instructor being uh, Zarco helping his student that is Quattararo that's almost drowning on his bodyboard in the pool. I don't, anyone that's not seen that uh, is quite funny. And of course, that's that's what we were all worried about, that the, the weather would continue through, or rather the MR camp were worried about, that it would continue through to Sunday. And, and Cotteraro, not only would he be starting from an extremely poor position, um, he'd probably end up there. Um, as it happens, I think the mark of his championship for me has been how cool he is at such a young age. He's been a very cool customer and he's definitely got the most out of that Yamaha just about on every occasion. This weekend, I felt really sorry for Magnai. It was a long shot anyway that he was going to be able to do anything about the championship. But if he took it to Portimao, it could have been cold and wet. If he takes it to Valencia, it could have been cold and wet. There were circumstances for these final three Grand Prix where, you know, it might have just fell in the lap of, of, of Ducati. And I think that's the only hope that they really had for, for finishing up with the Riders' Championship. Um, Quattararo, though, he rode a really, really good race at the end of the day. I think Ducati were out in force. What was that? Was that the first front row ever for, for Ducati? Three Ducatis across the front row? I think it was the first ever front row for a lockout for, for Ducati, which was a big deal in itself. Um, you know, first of all, his teammate chucks it down the road. Jack was was riding shotgun for Bangnaia when he was out in front. He couldn't keep um, the ever apparent Marquez. There's another big story. A few weeks off and a little bit of fitness, despite the fact he went sort of 
trying to throw himself over the handlebars um, during the course of the weekend. He still was fitter than he's been for some considerable time. A 1-2 for Repsol Honda. Ha! Polis Bargro finishing on the podium in the middle as well. I mean, uh, how many stories do you want to talk about first, Pete? <laughs> Help me. <laughs> and Bastianini on the indeed, podium. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And, and who was it who actually bet on Bastianini out of us three? One of you two. <laughs> it was Pete. It was Pete. Clever bugger. And I also bet, I also bet on Quattararo. So, you know, I was hoping that I, I thought I might have to introduce some team orders on that last lap because uh, it was getting a bit close, wasn't it? Just a bit. <laughs> But Pete, it, it, honestly, you know where where to look first. Obviously, the headline is Fabio Quartararo, and if we if we just stick with that overarching championship title uh, for the moment, it really has been, you know, uh, the making. A lot of people comparing Fabio to to his title fight last year and how you know there was a lot more he was a lot more aggravated throwing arms up in the air he wasn't quite as mentally stable perhaps this year though almost no sign of that so it just shows how far he's come and developed hasn't he and is this a is this a the beginning of of perhaps dominance that we're going to see from from Quartararo the, the funny thing with Fabio's career is is not that he's as good as he is now it's that he wasn't this good sooner you know he was a megastar before he arrived in Grand Prix double CV champion following in the footsteps of Mark Marquez. That was, he was labeled as the next Mark Marquez. He rode for the same Estrella team managed by Al Zamora, just as Mark Marquez was. So everybody expected him to arrive in Grand Prix and win everything. And, and he didn't, it, you know, until 2019, he'd never even finished in the top nine in the world championship, that first MotoGP season. So it all went wrong for him. You know, and he, he swapped teams, he swapped management, swapped, uh, you know, I think nearly every season in Grand Prix, he's had a different team before he got to MotoGP. So it's very rare. I can't think of, a, you know, an example of a, someone with a career like that, where they start off, you know, so hyped, that's not unusual, but to then drop away and then come back again. Yeah, in the way that he has done. And as he said, it's those lows that have really helped him. You know, now he's he's put everything together. He's got a good, stable management around him, his friends and family, all, all the right people that he needs. And he's he's delivering what we thought he would do years ago, if you like. So as you say, this year, to sum up, you know, what changed between last year and this year, he said, look, the front end of the Yamaha is a lot better this year. Keith was saying previously how important that is to a motorcycle racer. He can overtake now. He's got confidence, and we saw that in the race today. And also, as you say, he, he's he's not getting angry. And he, he said he's he's had to learn. He said last year, he gave the example, I think, Valencia last year. The bike wasn't working, as it wasn't for most of the Yamaha riders. And he, he came back to the pits, and he's fuming about the bike. You know, it's not it's not braking. It's not turning. It's not accelerating. And his crew chief says, okay, we'll, we'll work on that. But you've got to tell us exactly what it's doing. Don't just say it's no good. And he said he's remembered that and he's taken that into this year. And he's always tried to, even when things are not working out, he's trying to give the team the information they need to get things going in the right direction. And I think all of that has contributed to his you know, fantastic consistency this year. Uh, Davizioso, again, we, we were asking him, you know, what he thinks about Quattararo, because obviously he's on the Yamaha for his last few races. He said it, it's, it's something crazy is what he's done this year, was what Dobby said. You know, that consistency, that ability to break late, and then he's, he said, everything comes from the braking. Because Fabio is so good at the braking, the rest of the corner is just perfect. And he's so consistent time and time again. And yeah, you know, 22 years old and now a, a MotoGP champion. And you wouldn't bet against him, you know, being a multiple champion in the next few years. And let's face it, I think we're all sort of eyeing up the big fight with uh, a returning Mar or a returning to his best, Mark Marquez, in the near future as well. 
Mark was lining himself up for the win anyway this weekend. There's no doubt about that. And on a, you know, we keep hearing about how he loves anti-clockwise tracks on a clockwise track. He did what he did today. Rah, 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 rah. It's good on anything that he gets on. And I think that the fact that he'd had that little bit of time, extra time, he was there or thereabouts anyway. It looked like Van Nyer got the better of him uh, in the end, uh, as Mark may have faded very slightly. Van Nyer so strong. There are a couple of them front-end crashes that that um, so difficult to... You can't do anything. You can't legislate for it. You can't do anything about them. When you get a front end crash, you know, Ralph Fernandez in uh, in the Moto Two, you know, Magnaire in in Moto GP, those kind of smoking, juicing, locked up front ends, bang down you go, face plant. Not a lot you can do about them normally. We've seen Mark save a few of them in his pomp, but I I I, I think he'd have been finding it fairly hard to have um, saved one of them this weekend as well. But the track was. Uh, They'd got the data they needed because they've obviously been there before, but it was you know miles colder this time. It was nine degrees or something, wasn't it, for warm up this morning? It was it was ridiculous. It was really really cold out there. Damp patches all over the place. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult to find your pace in those circumstances with any kind of safety involved. In it. You just got to go for it. And when you're when a championship's at stake, man, I, I thought you got it. <laughs> Not least because I know I'd got him to win with Marquez second. <laughs> Good job there's not money on it or I'd be crying in my bucket right now. <laughs> I think I would I'd be joining you with that as well. I had Miller in. I think I've I think I cursed him. But let on on Bagnia, you know, it we all it was an outside chance that he could take the title. Quartoir has been, you know, the dominant force and, and you know the bookie's favourite. But Bagnia is certainly not giving up without a fight. Keith, how is he gonna be feeling, do you think, now having lost it in this? So I saw uh, he came out and said, you know, it was it was it was win or gravel. So do you think he's he's probably actually satisfied with with his run? I think philosophically, yes, of course he's got to be, and the team have got to be. The circumstances were that that Quattararo had got one hand on the trophy for some time and it was up to Quattararo to make the mistake. Um, I still feel that Quattararo would have won the championship come what may, but it would have been something where we would have seen what Quattararo was made of when we got to Portimao and Valencia if he was still under pressure. Pressure is everything. It makes riders, you know, Remy Gardner, again, an analogy, an analogy going back to Moto2. Remy Gardner's under a lot of pressure at the moment, um, and he was making mistake after mistake to the point where he, he had Somkiet Chanter off um, gained himself a ride through penalty for that, and he was lucky that's all he got as well in those circumstances. Um, and you could tell the pressure he was under, and he was making mistakes. He looked ragged here, there, and everywhere. But as soon as Raul Fernandez fell down and was out of the consideration for for the uh, win here, um, it meant that, that Remy could settle then for a moment or two, and he goes in now with an 18-point lead into, into the final two rounds. Pressure makes all the difference. Um, how Quattararo would have managed that if we'd have gone to Valencia and had a shootout in Valencia would have been a very, very interesting weekend indeed. We're not going to get that now. We're going to we've we've got you know two races where he can he can enjoy himself as the first Frenchman, as you've already said in the build-up. Which do you know what? When everybody keeps saying that, I have to search my brain because I can't work out why we've never had a French world champion before in 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 the Premier class because there's been so many good French riders over the time. The French are so big on their their premier class motorbikes, you know, MotoGP or 500cc before back in my day. And it's it's almost stunning, Pete, that that's that's a stat that I can't actually believe, even though I know it's true. 
You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you saw um, you saw Zarco as well. He was one of the first because he understood that what it means for French motorsport. He's one of the first to congratulate Fabio, wasn't he? Um, because it is it, it's a massive thing for them. And uh, they've been waiting an incredible, incredibly long time. Um, on Banyaya, he, he was asked, you know, when do you think you lost the championship apart from today's mistake? And he said, well, really, if you look at Mugello, where I fell off, I had the tyre problems in Austria 1 and in Silverstone. He said that all of that added together. But he said, look, to be honest, last year I had two good races. You know, I came into this year expecting to build, to learn, to get better. I didn't expect to fight for the title. So in a way, he's a, he's a long way ahead of what he expected. And, and he has sort of outdone expectations in that sense. Now, it is a shame that today, let's be honest, only Jack and Pecco went for the hard front tyre. Now, Valentino Rossi, and Keith brought this up before, when you're the only guy that goes for a tyre choice, you need to be sure about it. And uh, Valentino Rossi brought this up before. We mentioned the story at Aragon where he, he tried to hypnotise Banyaya into taking the safe tyre choice. <laughs> and he'd taken it and he won his first race in Aragon. He tried it again today. He said, medium, medium. You're the fastest guy. Medium, medium. It's the safe choice. He went with the hard front. Obviously, it's, it's not Banyaya's choice alone. He would have been advised by the team, by Michelin and everything else. But that meant that he couldn't back off. As Banyaya said, he couldn't afford to back off because the moment he backed off, the tyre, it was cooling down, the, the track conditions that, that Keith has spoken about meant it was so treacherous, but eventually got caught out. And Rossi said, yeah, I'm a little bit angry with him today because, yeah, if he'd have had the medium, Rossi's sure he would have, he would have won it and it would have been the safer choice. But, yeah, and, and Jack Miller also sort of went, well, you know, when, you, when, when two guys have the hard front tyre and they both fall off with identical accidents at the same corner, you know, you have to take it on the chin that it wasn't the right choice. Yeah, and it will have been the rider that made the choice in the end, uh, at the end of the day. I mean, the team will have advised, but it will have been the rider that did it. And maybe he was influenced by Jack's choice. Jack is a little bit more edgy when it comes to tyre choice, I would feel. So um, it might have been a bit of an influencing factor. I don't know. My teammates thinking about the same thing as I'm thinking about. So therefore, they both thought themselves down the wrong wrong road. But although having said that as well... Um, it was building slightly. The, the the temperature in the track was 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 above twenty degrees. It was starting to get into a reasonable place, um, and that you know it could have worked for them. But again, it's nobody had any mileage on any tires this weekend. At the end of it all, it was it's not you know you have the data from the previous Mizano one as as it's known, Mizano two being this one. Um, but the temperature is just, and the track was in just a difficult different um, configuration, if you like, in a different different zone is the word I'm looking for. Bad luck, but at the end of the day, Cotteraro's got it done. Two rounds to go. We can enjoy a, a bit of a demonstration from the Frenchman from now on without the pressure. Uh, something you said in uh, in your build-up, Harry, that um, is, are we going to see some dominance from you? I don't think anybody's going to dominate anymore. I don't think, you know, if, if Marquez comes back to the kind of level that he was at, maybe he can, can rekindle that kind of dominance. But I just don't see it anymore. I don't see that that dominating factor in there anymore. I don't see any, they're all, mm. the, everything is so close and all the riders are so close at the moment. I can't see, I think we can see a proper dogfight from round one in 2022, right the way through to the end with a bit of luck for us now as, as spectators and fans. But um, I don't know, I just don't see that dominance. And we've got, uh, incidentally, I did speak to Danny Aldridge about the um, technical freeze that we've had and what the, whether they were going to extend uh, any whether there's going to be any leeway moving into next year. No, it's going to be exactly the same as it's always been. Once we get into Qatar and we've got the the spec that they're using, that's it for the year. Anyone that's not got concessions, 
So if they've got, you know, whatever, A, B, C, D motor, uh, whichever one they choose to go with the year, that's the one what they've got for the rest of the year. There is not going to be any extra testing. There's not going to be any extra, extra anything, no time or consideration towards that. So I think next year is going to be quite a tricky one as well because we've got, obviously, new motors that will be coming. We've been seeing little little changes chassis-wise, aero-wise, and all the rest of it. And they're only allowed the one aero change as well next year. Um, so if, you're, if you've got what you've got, you're allowed that one at whatever time that you want it per rider. So you can sort of mix it up a bit in your team, if you like, if you've got two riders or in Ducati's case, you've got um, eight riders, I think it is next year. Um, and I have to say, inspired Pete with, with Bastianini. I mean, we, we, we knew that he was coming good and looking good, but that move that he put on Quattararo, he very, I mean, Quattararo wasn't the first move that Bastianini did on him, where he passed him into the hairpin. That was legit. It, it made Quattararo jump. Of course it did. It always does when you suddenly got a front wheel under you. Um, but it was the next bit that frightened the life out of me. When Quattararo looked to see if he could get back under him again, it was a it's a normal racer's reaction. You try and snap straight back. You know, the guy that's come under you is going to run a little wide, so you straight away aim at the gap in the in. At the, but Quattararo, he really only just caught himself there because it looked like he was going to ram the back of Bastianini's bike, and we could have ended up with uh, both your title contenders down on the floor and the, the status quo going into um, Portimao, which um, wouldn't have been great for Quattararo, that's for sure. Slightly, slightly awkward situation for Ducati is that Bastianini is due to get the 21 bike next year, and of course the pressure is building to get him on the 22 bike. Uh, as you as you were saying, Keith, there's going to be eight Ducatis. They can't give everyone a 22. Why bike. not? And at the moment, <laughs> that they say they don't, they don't have the money. I don't know, but uh, you know, at the moment, the both Grassini bikes will be 21s. I think one of the VR46s will be 21s. Marini's will be a 22, but. You know, if Bastianini can can repeat these results of the last few races, it's going to be it's going to be difficult to uh, to turn that down. Let, let me ask you something, Pete. I mean, I, I I know I should have done my homework on this, and I haven't, so I'll take the smack for that straight away off of Ari. But um, are the Ducati guys uh, contracted to Ducati, all of them, or are some or to the teams? And that makes a big difference, doesn't it? I mean, what what they can do as far as I mean, obviously, it can influence an independent team because they're supplying them with motorbikes, but if if that rider is contracted to the team rather than Ducati, then Ducati got their hands tied a little bit. Yeah, so it's a mix. So you've got Bastianini is contracted to Ducati. He's one of the riders that is. Marini is, is uh, I think he might be contracted to Ducati as well. But Digi Antonio, for example, at Grassini, he was contracted to Grassini. Um, but yeah, most of the Ducati guys are. Zarco, all, all of the Pramac guys, all the factory guys. So most of them are. Um, and, and in Bastianini's case, yeah, he is. Um, at the moment, he says he's due to get the 21 bike with all of the latest parts on it. But, you know, as you were just saying about the, uh, you know, the lack of testing, once they get to Qatar, that's the moment. So until then, he's got hope, hasn't he? Because whatever bike they give him then, that's the bike he's going to have to keep. So, you know, he's, he's got plenty of time to keep sort of uh, building his case, if you like, with Ducati and maybe try and get that 22 bike because on the face of the last couple of races, he deserves it. He does. Bastianini with a yeah, inspired ride, wasn't it, to, to finish third on the podium? We talked about you know there may not be such dominance with riders next year, but if we just switch to the manufacturer side of things and just going off what you something you tweeted earlier, Keith, you know Yamaha, British Superbikes, MotoGP, 
potentially world superbikes and then but they've got this huge influx of ducati power coming for next year as well it, it, you know it's going to be a tight fight again or yamaha got this in the bag it's a funny old thing isn't it i mean like the yamaha is not the best motorbike uh, in strict speaking terms it's but it seems to be the best general motorbike over overall over a season it seems to work relatively well everywhere i mean yamaha at the moment they won the british superbike title um, clearly, uh, it was Ducati finished second. It should have been a one-two really in the BSB, but in the end, the Ducati snuck in there in Tommy Bridewell's hands. Um, World Superbike, I think Top Rack will get it done. Um, it looks like that. The, the American Series, obviously, you know, done. Super Sport Series, done. You know, Yamaha actually on a piece of paper. When you're looking motocourse or something at the end of the year, there's going to be blue Yamaha all over it everywhere because. They're having an absolutely stunning year, really, for for a factory that I've I've been quite critical of in the way that they they seem to go about their business, but they get their business done, and I and I don't quite work it out. It's been a long time, though. I mean, Lynn Jarvis was quite interesting when he was interviewed on TV this afternoon, wasn't he? You know, Jorge Lorenzo was their last world title champion. I mean, we've got to go back a long time, and to see Jorge trackside and congratulating, it's quite fun. And that was the other thing for me. I mean, like. Bloody kids nowadays. 22 years old, Quattararo. How many languages does he speak? He speaks fluent Spanish to, to, to Lorenzo. I had no clue what he was saying because obviously I'm a dim old British guy. Um, but but there he is. He's conversing with Lorenzo, the former you know Yamaha world champion. And, and you just think to yourself, these kids are just so far ahead of things nowadays. Um, when we're moving into an era where that's going to be slowed down. Um, and that, you know, obviously... With respect to, to to the losses we've had this year in various classes in various countries, young riders have been killed. That something had to be done about that. Um, so what's happened is obviously the FIM and with with Erta and Dorna and and all the other you know, various regions have come together with this scheme where we 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 raise the minimum age, which is absolutely right. I mean, I I, I don't know how we ever got to racing fourteen year olds in the first place. To be honest, it you know. There are so many other disciplines that you can be involved in at that age and still go to school and concentrate on your schoolwork and do the things that you really you still need to do because there's only going to be a very small percentage of people that are ever going to earn enough money to sustain them and their families throughout the year through racing. The chances of them failing or getting injured um, fairly early in their careers and thereby having to be a plumber, which I've got nothing against plumbers, obviously. Some very, in fact, I think I'd rather be a plumber. They earn more money than I do. <laughs> it's the truth <laughs> of the matter. <laughs> but, but the point being is that it gives a kid options. It gives a family options. A family having to drag their child to Spain to race in Spain to have to fund a youngster in whatever championship it is that is going to give you the best ladder into MotoGP, presumably, but sometimes World Superbikes if you kind of fade a little bit. Um, I think that takes away that that ridiculous tension. And there's no doubt about it. I mean, I've got four kids here. You know, the fact of the matter is, is, yeah, they seem like they're very mature. They seem like they've really got it covered at 15, 16. But they really haven't. There's occasions where you catch them out on on stuff that, that you know, in life that they just are not yet equipped with to to make that decision, to, to sort of go that extra bit. And personal safety, I have to say, and this is from my own experience, is bottom of the list. Are you going to jump off that dirty great bridge into the river when you're 12 or 13? Of course you are. Are you going to ride a motorbike flat out around a field with no helmet on 
in my day, yeah, you did. Nowadays, of course, they are a bit sharper than that. Um, but you, you're going to do all these daft things. You, you, you know, that's how it is when you're growing up. You, you need to almost slow that down a little bit when we get to, to, to these championships that are running 14, 15, 16-year-olds in. I just think the raising the age to 18 in, in Moto3, I think it is, Pete. I know you, you'll probably be able to give us the absolute on this. I think that's so the right thing to do. I really, really do. It's the minimum thing to do, by the way. You know, you touched on the education thing, Peter, before, and, and I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, well, racers will be racers kind of thing, which probably is the wrong attitude to take. And it's probably a good job I'm not trying to influence anybody. But um, I think that there is there is probably a, a, a fair argument that that should also be a, a major part of the, the trip to your 18-year-old before you get to the World Championships, perhaps, as well. Needs to be attacked from all sides, Pete. It does, yeah. Uh, as you say, there was sort of three main points tonight, wasn't it? There was the, the age limit and the grid numbers, as you rightly say, 18 for Grand Prix racing, 17 if you're the CV champion or the Red Bull Rookies champion. So, uh, uh, you know, we might have one or maximum two riders that might be 17, but that'll be it. Um, and, and then there's the protection. They want to look at the chest and neck protection area they think there might be some more that can be done there and finally this this automatic warning system that you know which is interesting technology that they're they're looking we don't know exactly how that's going to work yet but um you know they want to have a system up and running for testing next year so um we've spoken about it before the, the options that they could use whether they use sensors on the bike or whether they use the airbag technology in some ways the trigger for this or not, but um, but yeah, they're, they're attacking it from all sides with that. What we haven't seen is that is any technical rule changes, which you've spoken about before, things like the, the bikes and the gearing, for example. But as we know, technical changes take longer because they have to be agreed by the manufacturers, don't they? So we might yet see some more things that, that will come out later if the manufacturers agree. But these were things that Dorna and the FIM can just agree kind of at the snap, you know, themselves without taking all the time to get all of the manufacturers involved. Once momentum is behind it, though, once, once, once there is that consensus that's, that's across the board, I mean, you're right, the manufacturers, you know, that the FIM or ERTA have autonomy to do what they like with the rules in certain respects, but when it comes to technical stuff, no, they don't. It's, uh, they've, they've agreed with the manufacturers to, to take it as, a, as, a, as a, a large group. But I think once we've got this kind of momentum moving and, every, and we have this general consensus of that we've got to do more than the bare minimum. I'm actually surprised to some extent, and again, this might be my slight lack of respect for officialdom in, in that you know, I'm, I'm really surprised and extremely pleased that they've made the move quickly you know, and they've, they've graduated it over a period of time. You know, I, I, I think they've, they've done well to do that as quick as they have done. I think they had to do it. Um, they were, you know, they've brought it will bring the sport into disrepute. You, you, you cannot have, you can't have anybody killed effectively. You're trying to minimize, you're trying to maximize safety, minimize risk and injury as much as you can. And yet at the same time, we've, we've had four kids that I know of this year that have, have, have lost their lives, which, you know, in any situation, if you're not taking that bloody seriously, then, um, then your sport is in disrepute. So they've, they've moved as quick as they should have done, but quicker than I thought they would have done. Mm. And I think also, I know there's some people that say, you know, the age limit, it's, it doesn't reflect the maturity of the riders and there's lots of other factors involved. But at the end of the day, raising the age limit is not going to make the sport more dangerous. You know, so everyone can agree on that, that, that it, you know, it's sometimes when rules are changed, you can get unintended consequences, can't you? But we know for sure this can only make things better. It's not going to make things worse. It's just how much it makes things better. And that's what we'll have to see. And the, the thing that, I've, again, it's one of my 
bugbears really living in Britain of course with a slightly more global audience that we have here on Crash it might not make quite the same impact but we mature and start and get funded much later in the UK so to actually have a situation where you're not already out of date by the time you get to where you get to is a is a big deal from a British youngster's point of view as well um, you know there are very few that, that are funded anything like they need to be um, in in this country so to to move that scale up a little bit by a couple of years three years you know it makes a big difference to a to a country like this and i'm sure there are others that might be feeling the same on that one um so the fact that the brits mature later or in my case not at all (laughs) 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 then then, um i think it's a good thing yeah, that, and, and that was actually brought up, Keith, in the, in the official press release. They did actually mention that. And I did think of you when I saw that because you, you have mentioned that before. So it does sort of even things up for, let's say, maybe the non-European um, nationalities that want to get into racing. It gives you a, a little bit more time because it's, it's a big deal to fly certainly across the world, isn't it? I know for England it, or the UK, you've just got to go to Europe to race maybe. But if you're coming from Australia, if you're coming from South Africa, places like that, it's a big deal to do that at, at you know, 15, 16. And, and this just gives... The, few more years it's uh, brilliant to see as you say Keith that action being taken swiftly and quickly because I think the pressure was mounting and it will be very interesting to see how that all unfolds uh, and what more is done in the coming months if you want the full breakdown of everything that's being involved there's a great article on crash.net so do check that out if you get a moment Uh, back to the racing action I think it would be remiss of us not to touch on our one two Uh, of course we have teetered around the subject of Mark Marquez back to back wins he can do it now right hand and left hand he's back to normal is he (laughs) well he's more back to normal than he was let's put it that way Uh, He's had quite good form around Mizano in the past, so it's not like it's a it's a major shock. You know, remember when he hunted down Quattararo to the last lap a couple of years ago? You know, he just sat behind him, mugged him. I hated it. I hate that kind of racing. I absolutely hate that kind of racing. But that's the mark of Mark Marquez. You know, he's he's so ruthless. He'll sit behind someone. Doesn't matter what other people might say. If that's what it's going to take to to get in front and stay in front. That's what he's going to do. He's going to surprise someone on the last lap. If he thought he could pass him and clear off in the distance, he would have done that. But uh, he didn't. Um, I think Marquez, after that massive high side that pinged him up on the air, he looked like a frog riding a motorcycle, didn't he? He was stuck across the front of it. I thought he was down for sure. That must have given... If if he needed a stress test to the shoulder, (laughs) that was a fairly large one. Uh, and to come back the way he did, he looked determined. He didn't have the pace of Agnaya, but no one's had the pace of Agnaya around Mizano. You know, Mizano, the last couple of times he's seen Magnaya there, he's been been superb. But Marquez looked very, very good, very, very sharp, didn't look out of control anywhere. Um, is he near his pace? Do you know what? It's going to be interesting. Porte Mao is a, is a tough old tough old test as well, depending on the weather, depending on if he stays injury-free for the rest of this year. It's a critical thing, injuries now. I mean, he's had his quota of big injuries, Mark Marquez. You know, the last thing he needs is another one um, going into the winter. Um, back to the dominant side of things, will he be anything like? I don't know. For me, the biggest the biggest shout for the weekend uh, was was Polis Bargro. Almost unspoken about Polis Bargro. You know, a one-two um, for Repsol Honda. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think there's a couple of parties going on in the paddock. One will be in Yamaha, obviously, but the other one will be in Repsol for for, for the for, for for the 
top two steps on the podium. That's a little bit well. There might be one going on in Bastianini's camp as well. Actually, actually, his party's going on everywhere. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a fair few. <laughs> but it, I think I'm right in saying that was their their for one two for Honda. Pete, we all know this first time since 2017. Aragon, I want to say. I think that's well, that's the um... stat I saw. I'll put you on the spot there. We'll go with it. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, sure, that, yeah. I'm sure people yeah. will correct us anyway. But yeah, uh, as Keith's <laughs> right, you know, Paul Spargo gone a bit under the radar there amongst all the uh, everything else that's gone on. But a, a great result for Honda, who really needed that towards the end of this season. They did, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's Paul's best ever result, we should say as well. You know, he has been on the podium with KTM, but but he never got a second place before. So, you know, it's a new sort of personal high for him and a big relief. You know, he, he stepped from KTM to Honda and his results went boom, you know. So he came into the year with a lot of expectations, as he was saying, you don't join Repsol Honda to finish, you know, down the order, let's say. If you join Repsol Honda, it's with the intention of fighting for race wins and the world championships. So they've been a long way off that. Um, and, and as he pointed out, he was actually more more relieved, should we say, for Honda. He said they've been under you know a massive amount of pressure to to turn this around. As you've been saying, you know the, the Honda that we know that's been dominating the combination of Mark and the Honda, and, and it's just gone away for the last couple of years with Mark's injury and everything else. So as far as Mark, I think you could see as he crossed the line, didn't he? And he, he sort of raised his arm in the sort of pointed at his shoulder i think it's it was a it was a big deal for him a lot a confidence boost to to win on the right hand track wasn't it finally um and uh i i think we've seen enough from mark to know that he can fight for the title next year you know i, th- I think if we assume the honda's going to get better mark has already won two races he's now been on the podium in a in a in a right hand circuit as well i think he's we know he's going to be up there the question is how much will he continue to improve over the winter what he did point out was that this weekend was easier because of the weather there was no stress from riding on the dry track on Friday. You know, it was damp conditions. And so he had a lot more energy. And so he went into the race. He said it was the first time he felt really fresh going into the race. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And so that's that's the one question mark, I think, about this, this result is that if he had to do the whole weekend with all of that stress and energy on the shoulder, would he still have been able to keep that pace up? He said he felt, you know, the, the physical side a little bit at the end, but that was all. He actually said he gave up pretty much at the moment where Banyaya fell off. He actually, that was the point where he went, okay, you know, let's just settle here. And then Banyaya fell off. So, um, but, but if anything, Mark, he said, look, all credit to, to Fabio. Today's his day and, you know, he's the champion. But I think, I think, yeah, we can see some battles between Fabio and, and Mark in the future. Mark, when he rode across the line, you mentioned it when he went over there and he took his end off. Do you know the bit I was most impressed with? And I don't know whether you've ever tried doing this before, whether you've tried riding like that with your hands crossed over. <laughs> and, and he's got his right hand in the air and he puts his left hand on the throttle just to keep the motorbike going as he crossed the line. That's not as easy as it looks, you know. <laughs> he's obviously ambidextrous. Is that what you call it, Pete? You're an educated yeah, man. Yeah, I think so. He can use yeah, either hand yeah. for whatever he wants to do. I was actually quite, quite impressed with that. I remember thinking, ooh. <laughs> having crashed many times trying to do that crossover thing <laughs> the re- reverse steering push bike have you ever tried that Harry I can imagine you on that well, I think I probably got on a bike when I was uh, first learning yeah probably I reckon then, I'd, uh, I'm, uh, the other thing the other thing Alacious Bargro and Maverick Vinales there was a battle going on there with the Aprilias wasn't there I mean that's only a tenth between those two I just checked it just then if you wonder what I kept putting my bloody glasses on for um, I, I just, just looked at the sheet seventh and you would have thought Maverick would want to make that point. <laughs> I would, wouldn't you? But he didn't. Well, yeah, well, and well, I think Maverick charged through the field a bit, didn't he? Because I think Rossi was sort of behind him at the start and they were moving through together. And then suddenly Maverick was, was a few places in front. So, yeah, I think obviously Maverick having missed the previous race and, and you know, coming back and everything like that, I think it was a... You know, it, it's it's a good result for him. He he he's building himself, isn't he, at Aprilia? And I think he's got these last couple of races now. And if he can keep on with this, you know, he, he could he could cause a surprise. I think next. Good year. about time. That's all I can say with Maverick. We've been uh, disappointed with him for too long. He needs to um, be back to the Maverick we all know and love. And that's a bloody quick Maverick. I tell you, he could be. Mm. If that if that if they've got something in the pipe, that Aprilia, if that has, continues its development in the way that it's been of the late. You know, we could be in for a shock next year from the Aprilia camp. I mean, Aleish, we know, has got a quick one-lap pace to him normally. He's always there or thereabouts. But Maverick Vinales is a race winner. And um, maybe if they've got it sorted, he might be again. Who knows? Keep an eye on that Aprilia. It was interesting, actually, I read as well, Vinales saying that, you know, before the race, they just decided to scrap the usual setup and just go with a completely different way. And that seemed to have worked and found a whole new level of performance. So perhaps they, they found a new way of development in, in that Aprilia. But it was good, good to see Vinales back in uh, and, and towards the top and very much uh, battling with uh, Espargro. Um, a couple of other riders we should make note of. Uh, but first of all, I think we need to absolutely touch on Valentino Rossi and his last race on home soil. And he ended it in the top 10 just behind his brother, Keith. Uh, uh, you know, you can 
it was clear to see everyone in the stands, even those, you know, his, his fiercest competitors and those up and down the Moto2 and Moto3 grid all paying homage to, to Valentino Rossi and just what he's done. And, it, you know, top 10 is it, fairly good for what, where he's been this season. Yeah, Luca Marini, his brother, obviously had a bit of a struggle off the front row. He didn't quite do what we he would have liked to have done and the team would have liked to have no. done. I mean, the, the you know, Grazie Valet full-on yellow uh, livery that came out of the VR46 camp and the like looked brilliant. You know, huge amount of people at trackside just for him. Not huge amount of people overall because there weren't. Obviously, it was still restricted. The whole area was really restricted. People were sending me photographs from Catolica and places like that that were empty over the weekend, which... For, for the final weekend that Valentino Rossi was going to race. Although, having said that, I spoke to um, Neil Hodgson just a few minutes before we start to record this. And he said that we're in the bar outside the track because it's gridlock. No one will leave because Valentino Rossi, they all want to see a piece of Valentino Rossi after the race. Well, so someone's got his helmet. Everybody stayed. The whole, the whole place is gridlocked all around that area. And so there's a load of bars. Well, I mean, me and Oji always go out there and have a few pints afterwards anyway because we're just like that. Um, but there's a there's like a street that runs out the front that's got lots of bars in it. So um, uh, your team is all out there at the moment having a swig while um, the Valentino Rossi fans calm down. The other thing, Valentino, I mean, he did something that was very rare. He threw a Valentino Rossi helmet into the crowd. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to a lot of people, but Valentino, is, as far as I can remember, I cannot remember him ever parting with a helmet and he threw his you know commemorative helmet and one bloke caught it straight you know went straight to one but normally they bounce off a few heads and a few bits and pieces and everybody's leaping and scrapping for the for the glove or the or the knee slider but this was a valentino rossi the one he took off his head for his last race in italy i mean how much will that be worth I mean, it needs, put, it needs putting in a museum. It needs donating to a museum. And I suppose it depends on the type of guy that's caught it, um, whether it will be or not. But, I mean, that is a special kind of gesture from Valentino. The yeah. only thing that's slightly annoying that- about it was his 44th um, Premier race or, or whatever it was in, in, in Italy when uh, it should have really been the 46th. <laughs> it, I also, if there, if there wasn't a fight that broke out of the stands over that helmet, I, I they were all very, uh, very well, very well. I know, but they'll, they'll all be very well behaved. The other thing that I was worried about, I don't know about you, and, and perhaps I'm not as though fair with the rules here. I was a bit worried. I thought, well, won't he be done for that? But doesn't he need to weigh in at the end of the race with helmet included? Hang on a minute, he's Valentino Rossi. In yeah, yeah exactly. Well, then I thought they... <laughs> they, they, have, they they had another one waiting, didn't they? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think anybody's going to do anything to Rossi in his final race in Italy somehow. But, um, <laughs> you're right. Gen- generally, face the wrath. They, generally, they do need to do that. Um, Luca Marini, I mean, his brother, I, I mean, the, the dynasty continues through the academy and obviously through his brother as well. I mean, that qualifying was brilliant to, to put himself on... On the front row with a Ducati, with a you know, um, and has made that front row look so cool, didn't he? I'm just trying to see whether what he'd done pre- previous to that. No, nothing like that, I don't think, had he? No, it was one of his best qualifyings, if not the best qualifying that he's ever had for Luca Marini. But unfortunately, he didn't quite get the best start off the line and, and fell back in the pack, but then kind of stabilised in that mid-pack, but pipped by the two Aprilias at the end. Yeah, I mean, third on the, I mean, Ducati must be very happy with him, I would think, doing that. A lockout, that's another little milestone yeah. for them on that front row. Um, but he failed a bit in the race, didn't he? He slipped back down the order. Um, yeah. there, there were quite a few that, that sort of disappeared, actually, uh, sort of 
perhaps off the radar p uh, one of them who was running really well uh, and his best race certainly since his return uh franco morbidelli who was up in the in the top five on that monster yamaha but uh, only ended up 14th at the end behind vizioso and just ahead of nakagami who who uh who crashed out and then rejoined but encouraging signs from morbidelli but he fell away at the end yeah, he'd kind of been the one guy during practice and qualifying that, that wasn't struggling so much, shall we say, with the Yamaha in those drying conditions. You know, we saw that, that the Yamaha has this really clear weak point, if you like, where full wet is not great. But then as the track starts to dry, for whatever reason, it really, it really seems to struggle. It seems to be on traction coming out the corners or whatever. But Morbidelli seemed to be able to cope with that a bit better than the others. And then, uh, yeah, so that, that got him sort of a... I think a, a decent grid position and yeah, he was there for the race, but then, uh, yeah, to be honest, I don't know whether it was a strength thing that, that why he dropped back. He's still stuff. He's, he's still two months away from being fully fit with that knee. So uh, yeah, I, I think that was probably um, a physical thing. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Peter. I think that um, Morbidelli for me is someone that's, that's still just taking his, he's in rehab still, even though he's riding a bike. Um, those injuries are much bigger than I think that, that they publicized or that we give credit for. Um, He'll be all right next year, as long as he doesn't go and do anything drastic in the last two races, of course. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. But uh, good, good to see Morbidelli back on uh, better form and improving. And lastly, before we, we take a look at Moto2 and Moto3, just wanted to talk about Miguel Oliveira, Pete. And I know we discussed this off-air briefly, but let's let's bring it on air because I think it's worthy of the discussion. Uh, it was great to see Oliveira running up front. But then I, I had to question, uh, I thought I'd missed something or had I gone mad? And then suddenly he's out of the race. Yeah, that's right. He just suddenly disappeared, didn't he? He, he was basically with Paul Espargaro for, for the whole race, really, wasn't he? Fighting yeah. away. And then that suddenly became a podium position, but then suddenly he wasn't there. And yeah, it turns out he, he fell off at pretty much the exact same time as Peko Banyaya. So that's why the sort of cameras missed that bit, if you like. But yeah, same thing. So just a late accident, front end thing, possibly, again, he wasn't using the hard front tyre. As we say, only only Banyaya and Miller were on the hard front tyre. But looks like he was just caught out at the end of the race. And yeah, a really disappointing end because they were, you know, it was looking like by far his best race. So a nightmare for KTM, really, because Brad Binder fell off on the way to the grid. So so you had, you had a nightmare start and a nightmare finish, really. Yeah, imagine that, falling off on the way to the grid. That just gives you some idea of how the, you know, tyre-wise, you know, <laughs> yeah. when they cool a little bit, you've got no control over them. Especially when it's the guy that rode on slicks in the wet in Austria that's falling off on the career. <laughs> God, that was still mental that they uh, they tried that towards the end of that race, wasn't it? Um, right. Well, let's let's park a bit of MotoGP chat for the minute. We'll come back to some more points towards the end. Let's move on to Moto Two now. Um, and it was as I alluded to at the start of the show, uh, Moto Two and Moto Three did not disappoint either with their uh, thrills and spills. It was uh, in the end though for Moto Two, Sam Lowe's on top uh, once again. He managed to convert pole to the win uh they had to fight for it a little bit though uh, regaining the lead from uh, aaron canet who ended up third at the end pipped right on the last corner by augusto fernandez but i suppose the big storylines from moto two ralph fernandez looking like he would take the title lead at one point but a huge crash in the end put uh what was a pretty sort of bad day for remy gardner uh suddenly he became a very lucky boy keith Turned on its head, didn't it? I mean, that was a championship deciding, I'll call it a mistake, but it wasn't really a mistake. He had a little bit of angle of lean still at the time when he asked for the break. You know, that puff of blue smoke out from underneath the front end and down he went, you know, massive barrel roll. Lucky 
not to be hurt, I've got to say. He will be hurt, but not as in mechanically bits and pieces broken. Um, but he will be hurt because he was barrel rolled up the track. The bike won't be particularly good either. Um, and it's 18 points, I think it is now, isn't it, that Remy has as an advantage, which it's not a shame because I think Remy's done what he deserved to do and he's slowly being overhauled by a rail rail has, has, has looked the dominant out of those two in the, in the, in the most recent Grand Prix. Um, it's almost a shame really that, that, that we're going to go to Portimao with that bigger difference. Cause I think it's a much closer race thing than that. And I think that Remy was beginning to react to the pressure. He was beginning to, the, it was beginning to seemingly get to him a little bit. Um, the odd mistake here and there, but in the end it was Fernandez who, just like Bagnaya, you know, front end lock, down he went. It was just one of those situations where you, you 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 can't do anything about those crashes normally. Whether it was the you know the whether it was borderline temperature wise on the on the or he had a little bit more angle of lean at the time when he hit the brakes. Um I looked at it a couple of times. He didn't touch the white line. At first I thought maybe he'd gone out on the white line a bit too far, but I don't think he did. Um a disaster for him, but an absolute bonus for um, Remy, of course, but the man of the meeting, without any doubt, was Mr. Fourth Place um, of recent <laughs> times, um, Sam Lowe's. I mean, you know, if you go back, funny, funny enough, I saw a, a tweet that um, Julian Ryder put out. Um, you know, Julian's old enough, long enough in the tooth to remember when Sam Lowe's never went particularly well at Mizano. This was not a great track for him back in the day. I seem to remember that as well, that that he crashed a lot here. He couldn't quite put it together. But he's looked good here of, of late. He held the lap record right up until this weekend. Um and he looked so smooth. Sam was uh, uh, the unfortunate thing about Sam. Whenever you watch Sam, even when he's in the lead and it all looks ever so easy and it looks like it's all going to happen, you kind of just waiting for that horrible mistake at some point. I, I know if he ever watches this, he'll hate me for saying it, but but you just think, oh Christ, stay with it, Sam, stay on it. And fortunately, this weekend was his weekend. He looked great on that bike. He really did. Right the way through, you know, qualifying was really, really tricky, and he made it look easy. That's that's the talent of Sam Lowe. He's got massive talent on a motorbike. Just seems to come apart. Seeing Mark VDS, Mark van der Straten up on the on the podium as well, taking the the team's trophy was was pretty special too, because that guy has put a lot of money into it and a lot of faith into Sam. So to see the the MVS the Mark VDS team one and two on the podium was pretty special for him as well. Yeah, it certainly was with with Augusto Fernandez second, who just pits a Canet Pete right on the line. Canet not happy about that at all, was he? At first, we thought maybe he'd made a mistake, but something bit something wrong with the bike, it seemed. I see it was running out of fuel, is what it looked well, like. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, you judge things finely in in, in top level <laughs> motorsport, don't you? But they got it just just slightly the wrong side of what they needed there. So, yeah, that that was a. But I mean, I guess on the plus side, it didn't cost him a win, did it? You know, it was it was third instead of second, but you know. Yeah, still still a podium spot, and uh, you're right, Keith. It is just 18 points now heading into Portimao between Remy Gardner on 280 points and Raúl Fernández on 262. But as we've seen, anything can happen on a on a Moto GP weekend, so it could suddenly be back uh, reversed fortunes uh, this time in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Well, if you're going to put money on it, uh, Rail Fernandez has this momentum at the moment. Whether this will have upset it any, I don't know. But, I mean, Rail Fernandez is still worth a good bet for this. I mean, 18 mm. points is a lot, but it ain't a lot. Um, and it, like I say, I think the pressure is going to be how the pressure gets to Remy. And that's the bit that's going to be key to the championship. Yeah, yeah that's it. I, I mean, the, obviously, it was a massive get-out-of-jail-free card for Remy, wasn't it? But maybe, on the other hand, he might just think, 
I could have, you know, I could have really punished that mistake more. I mean, he's he's done well and he's come out of it with a healthy lead. But as you say, Keith, this is Moto Two, where you know it's not just those two guys at the front. So it's not like you're just going to lose five, eight points one way or the other. There can easily be Sam Lowe's, Bezeki, Augusto Fernandez, connect between you, and suddenly, you know, an eighteen point lead can be gone in one race. So, yeah, it's it's definitely still still all to play for. Well, go on then. With two races to go, who's the champion? Oh, the Moto Two. You get a bonus point. <laughs> well, I I naturally always go with the better with the the more interesting bet most of the time. I I have this horrible feeling that that Fernandez is going to do it, even though yeah. he's eighteen points adrift. I've got I've, I mean I say horrible feeling because I want Remy to win it. I know Remy. I know Wayne obviously from from years gone by, and I know how hard Remy works, and I know how much effort Wayne has put into his son in the in the past, even though he's backed away from it now and he lets his boy get on with it. Um so and Remy's performances early season were majestic. They were they were a new Remy Gardner. He was he didn't make mistakes. He's he's had the the beatings, he's had the financial bloody input that the family have had to put in. He's found himself the right ride. He's 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 come the hard way, Remy, really. Okay, so his dad's a, a famous ex, you know, five hundred CC world champion. But in some respects, that can be a detrimental to your um, progress. Um, I think Remy Remy deserves the championship. I've got this, I'll say, horrible feeling that Fernandez is going to pinch it by the end. Pete, what about you? Well, I, I think a bit like Keith that, that Fernandez is going to be the guy to beat in these last two races. So the big question for me is, where is Remy going to finish? Is he going to finish near enough for the points gap that he now currently has? Tough, isn't it? It's going to be tight. Uh, yeah, exactly. That that for me is the, is the question. And I mean, Remy, I'll, I'll, I'll go for Remy to hold on, but okay. I think that the I think the points gap is going to close dramatically. Should we say it's going to go right down to the last lap of the last race? He who makes the mistake well, loses the championship. Absolutely, it's going to be tight. I think, and we can all hope for a tight one. I'm going to go for Fernandez as well. I've got Ooh. a sneaky feeling. But then again, my mind... That will definitely be Remy then. Haven't been great. <laughs> yeah, so Pete's, Pete's going to get the money. Uh, how much do we put down for that, by the way? Um, <laughs> um, let's uh, let's move on then nicely, actually, to, to Moto3, because I will ask you a few predictions for that in a minute. But first, let's uh, talk about that, because what a ride uh, from Dennis Foggia. Incredible, really, to go from 14th on the grid to take the win ahead of Jalen this year. And Pedro Acosta in the end, who uh, battled his way. He always seems to battle his way. He's up one, and then he's down five, and then he's back again and he managed to finish on the podium um, and a great and, and in doing so they take the team championship as well the Red Bull KTMIO team take the team's championship uh, but Foggia was uh, a man on a mission and now just 21 points behind Pedro Acosta well he's kind of replicating what's going on in Moto2 with, with Fernandez, isn't he a little bit I mean he's mm. come so good late season Foggia and uh, he, you know he really is applying the pressure to the youngster at the moment but Acosta I thought he rescued this weekend um you know, he managed to force himself into that position. What's it? 21 points between them now. Um, Foggia's got momentum, but Acosta's late race, I don't know what to call it. It's not aggression, but he's kind of, the way he reads a late race is really, really quite special for one so young. He manages to work it out. He seems to have something in himself and in his bike for for a, for a end of race scrap. And uh, he's certainly one for the future, no doubt about that. But Foggia, brilliant just a brilliant race just looked like he was the man 
even though he was a long way behind at one point. He really was a long way. There was a big gap. He got a got a bridge to to get to the leading bunch, but once he got there, straight through him. Yeah, I mean, uh, Acosta, he, as you say, Keith, he, he looks like, well, you think, oh, he's, he's starting to choke a little bit, but it, that he's starting to panic and he gets his sort of eight laps to go or something. And then suddenly it's like he just goes, he, he switches into another mode and he, and, he, and he recovers and he always seems to be there at the end of the race. The, the, the interesting thing for me, I think, though, was just how down he looked after this race. I, I, I've never seen him look that, it was like he really knew, Okay, I'm 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 in a bit of trouble here. I mean, what is it? It's 76 points that Foggia has taken out of him out of his lead in six races or something. I mean, it, I, I think he it was the first time I've seen him look really worried. I guess you know on the podium because he wasn't. Did you see? You know, the others were all celebrating and he was completely glum. And I think you know that it showed that it's he is worried and it's getting to him. And I think. It's, I mean, to lose that amount of points in these in these races, he can keep recovering. As we say, he's doing a great job of just snatching the you know the, the maximum points he can at the end of the race. But Fodge is just in another class at the moment. Yeah, but Fodge has got to win both of the next ones, and if um, Acosta finishes in the same position he did this weekend for the next two, he'll still be champion. He'll only have lost eighteen points. You know, eighteen points is the crux here. We were talking about it with the Moto Two guys. You know, you can a guy can win and and. The other, you know, Acosta can finish third in the, the next two races and he can still be champion by three points. So, I mean, it really is still Acosta's to lose with a 21-point lead going into the final two rounds. Um, but it, it, that lesson, and this is where he has, you know, his young tender age, he has experience. He has fought for these, for fairly major championships already. He has been amongst, he's been in the shark pit already for some time in his life. I mean, He's not just 16, you know, he's 16 with a whole, with years of experience. And it's going to, he's going to need them now. He's going to, he's going to have to lean on them a little bit in these final two rounds to, to not choke. I don't think he'll choke. I think what happens is you override. I think when you're a youngster, you don't really choke. You're not scared of anything. I think it comes back to what I said earlier on, you're jumping off bridges into water and so on and so forth. I don't think you're scared of anything. Um, but what it is, is you begin to override a little bit. You begin to just tighten up a little bit. you become too aggressive with the motorbike you've got to pull it back a little those with experience will just pull it back a little bit and won't make the same kind of mistakes and tiny mistakes in moto three cost you yards you know scrub a little bit of speed here and there just get it slightly wrong and lose the toe from the person in front of you cost you dearly but i i just think his racecraft during the course of this year has been exceptional for one so young he really has he manages, it's like he's got a crystal ball with a bloke in front of him he's going to move to next on the track and he managed to make a pass or jump to the side of him. Um, and you think, crikey, that kind of racecraft is is something, he's beyond his years when it comes to that. So if he, if he can continue in that way in the final two rounds, he will be champion. But Foggia at the moment has the momentum. It reminds me, Keith, do you remember Danny Kent's season? Oh. You know, and he had, the, because it's looking like that, isn't it? But at the end of the day, Danny Kent held on. And I think exactly as you say, it's almost, I mean, we'll have to look at the the, the, the points gap that was lost, was it to Oliveira with Danny Kent? You actually had to switch the liveries, wasn't it? It was a, a Leopard bike and it was the Red Bull KTM bike. And, it, and we've ended up, it didn't look like it would be this way with the Costas rides at the beginning of the year. It looked like he was going to dominate the season, but it's ended up being a bit like Danny Kent's where the lead has gone down, gone down, gone down. Danny Kent held on, and, and Acosta, you know, if he holds his nerve, he will do the same. Agreed. 
Well, on that then, are you both uh, sticking with Acosta for the, the, the champion? I'm going to stick with Acosta, I think. I think he's just about got enough points to keep it together. And I think somewhere like Portimao, is going to, he's going to love Portimao. He's going to go well at Portimao. And, and Valencia is another one of those tracks where, you know, there are certain kids that go well on that track. And um, I think he'll be one of them. Yeah, I, I think across. I think that the lead is just a bit too big for Foggia. I think it's again a bit like with I thought with Fernandez. I think Foggia will be will, will finish ahead of him and he'll cut that lead down. But I think Acosta is is going to you know mentally he's strong enough to hold on. And as Keith says, he you know he has this knack of pulling points back when you think he's going to lose a, a massive load of points. Suddenly he makes mm. the damage limitation ride, and that that's all he needs at, with with a twenty one point lead. Well, you, you both make very sensible points, but. Uh... Me and my naivety, Foggia is going to do it. I'm telling you now. <laughs> so, <laughs> got to go for the underdog. I have to. I have to. You won't, you got, won't be alone in the that. same one. Yeah, you won't be alone in the that. same one. So, well, I've written, they're in set in stone now. So, we'll, 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 we'll add that to our to our uh, tally. Um, but sticking with Moto Three uh, for one minute, Darren Binder uh, in fourth, just missing out on the podium. Of course, big news coming into the weekend. Finally, we have an answer as to who is going to get that Yamaha seat. And now, uh, also confirmed, it will be RNF, the title sponsor for that Yamaha Moto GP, and it will be Binder in the 2022 seat. Keith, uh, it was rumoured this was happening, but finally it's set in stone. No, thought might be Jake Dixon. That's not happening. Binder with a P4 cementing that as well. Can he make the jump and do what Miller did? Yeah, I think he can. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can. I mean, Miller, I think his jump wasn't quite as um, as successful as maybe he thought and the team thought he would <laughs> he would do it the first year. That's for sure. Um, and I think Binder's going to be in the same situation Binder's not as daft as I think that, that sometimes we, we might make him out to be. I mean, he's a charger. There's no doubt about it. But he will be thinking, he will see the Jack Miller, you know, parallel and he'll be working on it for sure. Um, I mean, for me, it's 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 a new team situation as well. I, I like the RNF part of it. I, some old wag put it up there today. Razlan needs funds. I love that. <laughs> That's what it stands for. Razlan Razali, of course, the, the team, uh, team uh, CEO. Um, it's going to be an interesting team. It's going to be interesting to see how it gels. Uh, Darren is going to have a really hard time early on, and there isn't that much testing again with modern day MotoGP, which you know it, it would be. There's almost a situation here where I think there ought to be, you know, for a, for a rookie like him coming in, there should be more testing allowed. There should be a little bit more leeway. Um, but there isn't. So uh, good luck to him on that one. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind when it comes to Darren. Um, you know, he's going to jump on a MotoGP bike. The gap between Moto3 and MotoGP is enormous. You know, he's not come through Moto2 where it's a lot closer to MotoGP and a, and a little bit of a halfway house. He's, he's doing the full-on jump. Uh, good to see as well that uh, John McPhee has got another year in Moto3. Um, so at least John has a ride now, now that he's you now Patronus is disbanding its Moto3 and Moto2 teams. Um, he'll be disappointed with the fact he hasn't been able to nail down a, a, a Moto2 ride. Um, and this will be his last year, I think, because he'll be 28. Um, so it'll be his last year uh, in Moto3 that he'll be allowed because they've obviously got the, the age limit, upper age limit on that. And Jake Dixon as well. He's all but signed for for Moto2 for next year too. Um, so good luck to them. But in your question, I think um, Darren's going to have a hard time to start with. 
but he'll be right up for it because he is a binder uh, and brothers will be comparing notes, I'm sure. Yeah, the two binder brothers there, Pete. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, Jack Miller did it, but Jack Miller was fighting for the Moto3 title right to the final round. You know, he was the standout rider along with Alex Marquez in that Moto3 season. Um, and as he says, it, it was a different situation. He was going to an open class Honda, which was at the time almost like a, a lower category of bike slightly, you know, and, and, and Darren's, Darren's coming in. He's had two podiums at the base start of this year, but that's all. And he's going straight on to a, a factory Yamaha, if you like. It'll be a year-old bike by the sound of it, but still. The Yamaha does seem to be the easiest bike for rookies, but still, it's, it's a big jump to make. The other hand, he's 23 years old. That means he's older than Fabio Quattararo. So, you know, he's, he's not... Jack Miller was very young. He was still a teenager when he first rode a MotoGP bike, but he was sort of 20, I think, by the, before the first race. So, so the, the, this, there's either side of that you can look at. But he's got that sort of wild style, isn't he? Jack, Jack was asked about it. What do you think Darren will do? And he said, yeah, you know, if anyone can make a, make a go of it, he can. You know, he, he, clearly, he's happy with the bike moving around underneath him, which is what happens a lot more in MotoGP compared to, to Moto3. Um, and Jack, Jack made the point that I think we've made before as well, which is you can't turn down MotoGP. He said, you know, that train only comes once. So, you know, if you've got the chance, you've got to take it. And, and whatever the situation, and, and Darren's got this chance. And, you know, especially at Yamaha, it's, it's a great chance for a rookie. He's not that young, as you say. He's, he's actually done, I think, six, seven years in Grand Prix. It's just that they've all been in the, the small class. Jack said that, that Darren, you know, he does train on bigger bikes. And, and he said he's, he's got a lot more big bike experience than I had when I made the move. So let's see. But undoubtedly, it's going to be a massive, massive step. The only sort of uh, concession, if you like, that, that rookies get is they're allowed to take part in what's called the, the Sepang Shakedown Test, which is for, for test riders and rookies and riders with concessions, if you like. So you'll get about three days at Sepang before the main test, but that's it. That's all he will get as a rookie compared with all of the other full-time riders. So it's not a lot of time on a MotoGP bike. Um, he'll make his debut at the Jerez test in November. Um, as far as the team, um, yeah, it's a one-year deal with Yamaha, which is quite short. Uh, Razan explained that was something to do with corporate governance or something. But yeah, unusual for it to be so short. Um, Zielenberg, Wilco Zielenberg will stay as the team manager. Um, but Stiggy, Johan Stiggy felt it seems like there's a complete split there between Razan and, and, and Stiggy. So they'll go their separate ways. And this new team won't have Stiggy in it. So that, that'll be quite a big loss. But we'll see, you know, Razan said, most of the team will remain the same, certainly on Dobby's side, the, the crew, the mechanics. Binder's side, Rossi's, Rossi's guys are going with him, if you like. So Rossi's crew chief, uh, data guy, and his coach, they'll go and work on the VR46 team next year. So um, Darren will have some, a few new guys in there with him. But the project is, you know, it's got Yamaha backing. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, let's, let's see what he does. As Razan said, who would have guessed what kind of Fabio was going to do with the bike in 2019? And, uh, you know, I think it's a bit much to expect Darren to do quite that much but uh, you know given Fabio was a race winner in Moto2 already but certainly Razan has uh, has big hopes for him well we shall uh, wait to see how that all pans out we're getting all the sort of news coming out now as we get to the back end of the season as you say Keith good to see John McPhee confirmed uh, he'll be alongside Ayumi Suzaki on the uh, the Stelgarda Max Racing team for 2022 in uh, Moto3 um I'm afraid gents we are uh, out of time for for this week but uh 
I think we I think we just about covered everything uh, near enough. There's a few bits that uh, will slide across to next week's show because we will get your questions answered. Also, there's some rumors about uh, potentially Davide Brivio coming back to uh, Suzuki, not happy in Formula One, just rumors at the moment. Perhaps uh, uh, that will be a bit more of a discussion for us uh, next time out when we will go into preview mode uh, once again for the penultimate round uh, in Portimao uh, with still the Moto2 and Moto3 titles to be decided. But the MotoGP title has been won by Fabio Quartararo, and I think we can all agree that was a very well-deserved and a sublime uh, season uh, from Fabio this year. Um, but we'll be back. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Pete, for uh, all your help as ever and your thoughts and comments. Thank you as well to listening or watching wherever you are. Uh, make sure you keep up to date with all the very latest news uh, from MotoGP and the wider motorcycle community on Crash.net. Any questions, you know the trick by now. And if you don't, leave them in a comment, send them to the Crash.net uh, MotoGP socials, and we'll try and get them answered as soon as we can. And please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well. And we'll be right back here next week. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.